Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to try to get the whole way through verse 5. We got two words last night, uh, last Thursday night. We're going to try to make up for that just a little bit and get the entire ideal of this passage here. Matthew chapter 7. And let's just start reading in verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say unto thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Now this is a passage that is used often when anybody disagrees with someone else over a religious matter. Judge not, lest he be judged. And uh, we have to be very, very careful because that's not what it's talking about. And last week we went through, we are not to judge a person based upon their economic or social status. That's James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You, we cannot judge according to appearance, according to the outward. But let me tell you something. The world does judge you according to your appearance. I've heard, often heard, God judges the heart. God knows. Don't you judge the outside, but wait a minute. How is someone supposed to know who and what you're about if they can't take a look at you and tell a few things. Can I use an extreme an example I've used before? What would you think you pulled up to church and there on the sidewalk right in front of the church is one of them great big Harley Halls with chrome and the big high handlebars and the... And the um, Oh, I don't even what they call those. The little pieces of leather hanging off of them and the spikes all over everything. And you came in, and I was dressed like a biker. And I had the leather pants and the chain around my waist. And I even had a helmet sitting here with the ponytail tacked to the back for good taste. Now, would that change who I am just because I put that costume on? Would it? It would change your opinion of me. You'd say, now why is pastor identifying with dope smoking, rock and roll music, beating people up and doing all kinds of vile, evil things? Why is he identifying with that by the way he dresses? People do judge you by how you appear. And that's why it's important that we don't spend our time in our life looking at everybody else. But we be careful on how God wants us to live. Now, if someone dressed in a full motorcycle regalia walks in, are we supposed to all go, what's that guy doing in church? No. Maybe something has happened and God is working in the heart. And this had better be a place where that can happen. 
I've often told people, they say, Pastor, I, I can't ever make it to church because I'm, I'm going to be having a hangover. I'm going to drink on Saturday night. I know what I'm going to do. And I said, listen, if you really want to get over there, show up Sunday morning regardless of your situation. I said, we'll make room for you. You only come to church that way so many times. Because you'll feel worse about it than anybody else. Amen? You make the commitment to God and He'll work in your heart. But church had better be a place where those that are sick with sin can get help. But the one thing that we do not ever want to do at Open Door Bible Baptist Church is help someone be a better sinner. Amen? And you say, wait a minute, you're judging. No. Last week we looked at that judgment. We don't judge someone by their appearance. We, uh, we're not to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not to judge other people's faith. But... Listen, tonight we're going to spend our time talking about the things that God wants us to judge. You see, I put it here negatively uh, to keep it in the same thing. We are not to judge what God has already judged. When God calls something sin, guess what? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to sit down and try to evaluate whether something that God calls sin is really sin. Amen? If you want a terrifying example of someone who rejudged what God already judged, just read the story of Achan out of the book of Judges, out of the book of Joshua. As they went into the city of Jericho, God said, listen, you're not to touch anything in the city. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. No questions about that. The problem was, Achan got into the city and he saw a Babylonian garment. And he began to rejudge what God had said. Well, maybe it wouldn't hurt. I mean, it's just going to burn anyway. I'm not going to do anything with it. What can I, I can't parade around the camp of Israel on this thing. Uh, but it might be nice just to, to have this thing, to look at it. Maybe someday I'll be able to trade it for something that's worth something. Who knows what was going on in Achan's mind, but he was re-evaluating what God said. He was judging again what God had already judged. And so it wasn't a big step when he saw the wedge of gold and the shekels of silver to pick those things up and add them to his little uh, spoil pile and keep those things with him. And yet he brought judgment upon himself and his entire family, didn't he? Death. Because he took what God had already said and decided that he needed to think about it a little further. And you know a lot of Christians get in trouble when they rejudge what God has already judged. You know, one of the greatest defenses that has been put forward here in the last 10 or 15 years 
by a group we just call the sodomite rights crowd around here, the homosexual rights crowd. They uh, they really want it, they really want to, uh, they claim equal rights, but then when you give it to them, it's always something else. But here's one of their big defenses. They'll go back in history and they'll say, did you know Abraham Lincoln was a homosexual? Now, that's absolutely not true. But they say it. And they'll go back and they'll say, King James of England, who gave us our Bible, was a homosexual. Absolutely not true. It's people who... And then they go back and they say, do you know that homosexuals are nice people? You know what? That's not the issue. It's something God has called sin. Now, very soon, if things continue as they are in the United States, what I've just said will be against the law in the United States. It already is against the law in Canada. And in many other countries of the world, because you might offend someone when you say that. Well, we're not, we're not trying to offend something. We didn't bring this in just for the point of bringing it in to be offensive. No, no. Listen, when God has already judged something, we have no right to go back and second judge it. We have no right to go back and say, well, it's really not that wrong. Well, wait a minute. It is still sin. When you agree with God, you are not judging another human being. Can we say amen to that? Sin has been, always will be, sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's why God calls it sin. That's not what he's talking about. Don't re-judge what God has said. Now, I knew a preacher. I actually met him, talked to him. I never talked to him about this subject because there was no use doing it. But he said that wire frame glasses, wire rimmed glasses, were of the devil. And uh, if you went to his church and you had wire frame glasses, uh, he wouldn't call you down, but he certainly wouldn't ask you to lead in prayer. He wouldn't. As I look out here, I don't know anybody that doesn't have wireframe glasses there in this service tonight. But I mean, it was it was a big deal. Now, I don't claim to have as much expertise as many others do, but I've read through my Bible more than once, many many times, and I can't find any verse on wireframe glasses. Therefore, I'm not going to make an issue of wireframe glasses. Sometimes we make issues of things that God never intended to be an issue. Amen? Now, if you put on those wacky, weird little glasses and grow your hair and wear a t-shirt that says imagine across the front and dress yourself up to look like John Lennon, I'd probably take issue with you. 
Because that's not what we're trying to identify with. Amen? And that was one of the reasons why the preacher was against wireframe glasses because a lot of these goofy little rock stars wore them. And he's saying, listen, you're identifying with that when you look like that. But let me tell you something. It takes a whole lot more than wires around the glass lenses to make you look like John Lennon. Amen? Uh, and even if you were trying to, uh, we have words for that. We would question your intelligence. We certainly would uh, uh, question your taste and a lot of other things. But you're not committing sin by putting on a pair of wireframe glasses. That's what this verse is talking about. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Now, let's take a minute and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 one more time. Look at two more verses there that we uh, didn't spend a whole lot of time with. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Oh, actually, no, these are new verses. I'm sorry. This is the kind of judging that God wants us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and let's just go back and get the... Well, let's read 15 and 16, then we'll go back and get the context. It says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, and yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now let's get the context. Uh, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man, for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, if you get where the Apostle Paul is going with this passage, he says, listen, the natural man does not understand spiritual things. How many of you remember back when, before you were saved, you tried to understand the Bible? I've had people say, Pastor, first time I showed up at church and heard you say something, boy, I got upset. But then, after I got saved, things changed. And it wasn't me that changed. It was you that changed. You see, you stopped being natural and became spiritual. And Paul says something here. He says, he asked the question, for who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who has known what God is thinking? Who has God called up through the ages and said, listen, I'm thinking about doing something. Would you give me some advice? The answer to that is, no one. God doesn't need our help or our advice. He already knows what's best to do. But then Paul rejoins this thing, saying, listen... We're not here to instruct God. We're not here to help. We're not here to clarify what He has already said. Because He's God. He doesn't need our help. But we have the mind of Christ. It is God who has put His thinking in our souls. 
That's why we can look at things and say, this is wrong. And we can look at other things and say, this is right. It's not because it comes from us. It is the mind of Christ that is living in us. But Paul immediately goes, in, in Paul's original letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, and all those little sentences weren't there. Uh, it, there weren't verse markings. It was just one sentence into the next. He said, and I, brethren, could not... I couldn't speak to you as I'm a spiritual. I had to address you as babes in Christ. I had to talk to you as people who were immature. Now, if you have worked anywhere in the United States with other people, there's one thing that you will never end up running out of, and that is the immaturity of your co-workers. Isn't that true? I mean, there'll never be an end to it. Just about the time you figure that your co-workers have done everything they can to show how childish they are, something else is going to come down the pipe. Now, doesn't that work? Now, guess what? Happens in church, too. Because we are all, we will all find ourselves in this situation at different times in our lives. Amen. You see, this is the mind of Christ. And this is why, as he is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Judge not, lest ye be judged. For with what judgment ye judge, shall ye be judged? With what measure ye meet? And we're going to go right back through that again. But let's just take this idea of the mind of Christ. Now, it is the mind of Christ. Jesus never shied away from condemning the wrong or exalting righteousness. Now, did Now, we could spend stories all night, illustrations of that. How many of you remember the Syrophoenician woman? She called after the disciples. She said, my daughter is grievously vexed. And they, they said to Jesus, can't you get rid of this woman? She won't leave us alone. And Jesus looks at her and says, it's not me to take the bread of the children and cast them to the dogs. See, she wasn't a Jew. And she said, yea, Lord, but the dogs eat the crumbs of the master's table. And what did Jesus immediately do? He said, great. One of the only times he used it in the Bible, two times I believe, one was a centurion, the other was a Syrophoenician woman. Great is thy faith. I've often heard preachers question why Jesus treated her so roughly, we would say. But it took that rough treatment to put her faith on display. Jesus was never never shied away. He didn't shy away from issues of race. He called it just the way it was. He didn't shy away from issues of right and wrong. Uh, and yet, when there was faith, the first thing he did was to lift it up and exalt. 
exalted because this is what the Christian life is about. Amen? Now this is the mind of Christ Jesus. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And Paul here will tell you and I as a command that we are to have in our own lives the mind that Jesus had. Verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which also was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now look at verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Jesus wasn't going around exalting himself. Amen? Nor was he going around, and, and you know how this is done, where someone will point out a fault, that is called judging, because that fault makes them look better. Jesus never, ever stooped to that kind of foolishness. I was at the bank the other day and I just almost said something but the Lord helped me not to because it would have been in the flesh and not in the spirit, of course. But there was this big display and it said, we need to supply uh, we need to supply notebooks and pencils and all of these things to our children because if they don't have them when they go to school it will affect their self-esteem. Whoa, wait a minute. It's not going to affect your self-esteem. It may affect. If they don't have a pencil, they might not be able to do their math problem. Uh, but you can do math in pen if you have to. I know it's against all the rules, but you can do that. The issue is not the self-esteem because if it was really the self-esteem of the children why would they teach them in science class they came from monkeys how does that build your self-esteem why would we take children who do not know the answers and do not comprehend the material and promote them anyway that doesn't help self-esteem my friend Self-esteem is your greatest enemy. Jesus did not have self-esteem. But he knew who he is. There's a difference. There is nothing more damaging you can do to a child or a human being then make them believe something about themselves that is absolutely untrue. Oh, you have the ability. You're really smart. You know this. You can do it. When you know very well that they, have, they can't do it. They don't have the ability. If we were going to give them the ability, we would have to take them and put them back in second grade and work the whole way through back to tenth grade uh, so that they can get the foundation and the knowledge to do and solve the problems. You can 
feel really good about being stupid and still be stupid. Isn't that true? Is that what you want? No. That's why you need to have proper judgment. Because without it, the world's not going to be laughing with you. It will be at you. Jesus had this mind in him that he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant as the eternal creator God of the universe. I can't imagine that. But how often are we sure enough of our Savior and of our faith and of our ability just to believe the Bible, that when someone openly ridicules the Scripture, that we can look them in the face and say, I just don't believe that. Do you see what we're talking about here? This was the mind that was in Christ Jesus. He never excused sin. But when people derided him, how many times did he say, you dishonor me? If you don't believe me, you don't believe my Father that sent me. If I said I don't know the Father, I would be a liar just like you are. I mean, those are harsh words, are they not? This was the mind of Christ Jesus. He wasn't worried about what everybody thought about himself. Self-esteem. He was worried. He wasn't worried because he was God. He doesn't ever worry. You understand. But his concern, what his life was about, was about obeying God's Word. If we could be more concerned with obeying what God has clearly written down, our lives would be a living testimony of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and would in turn be judgment to those that do not want it. Do you see how that works? The problem is, we spend our time trying to think how we can make God's judgments more palatable to the world. Well, maybe I don't have to say something about this. You know, pastor said be kind, and we need to not be judgmental, so I'll, I'll just... Well... You don't have to be the busybody that's running around in everybody's business. But you never accomplish anything by compromising the truth. Never, ever. What was right yesterday is still right tomorrow. Amen? God has not changed the difference between right and wrong. Now, here's an example of this. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. And let's start in verse 1. This is a letter from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor. And thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them 
which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. There it is, right there. God did not condemn the Ephesian church for drawing a strong line between righteousness and unrighteousness. Between investigating these people who made claims to be the apostles of the Lord and were not. But what he did do is he said, Listen, church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. When we do right, I've heard preachers preach on hell. And you almost felt like they were glad that somebody was going to end up there. That was not a pleasant service. Then I've heard preachers preach almost the same sermon, almost the same words, the same Bible verses. And theirs was a plea. Don't go there. And don't let anyone you love go there. And it was a completely different service. Do you get where we're going here? Are we together still? I haven't gone off on a tangent here on you, I promise you. This is the mind of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to have where we stop thinking about ourselves and are so wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have to condemn the unjust and evil acts and have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells this church at Ephesus, you better come back and do the first works. Do it out of the right heart. And their judgment was right. Their heart was gone, was lacking. And that is where they had the problem. We go to James chapter 2. And it says that he that judges without mercy shall have judgment without mercy. Now, if you have judgment without mercy, there's a very strong chance that you're not going to make it ever. And if we're, since we're in the Sermon on the Mount, we go right back to that point at the very beginning where Jesus said, Listen, if you can't forgive your brother, if you despise him in your heart, if you can call him a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. How many times are we supposed to forgive our brother? Not seven times, but 70 times. Seven, and by the way, if you're counting, are you forgiven? Probably not. You only got 35 times left. I can't wait. That's not the smite of Christ now, is it? How many of you have repeated sin in your life? Every hand goes up if you're honest. If you aren't, you just repeated another one. Amen? That's the way it works. Yet, God still forgives us, doesn't He? We take that forgiveness to the world in which we live. 
But if they don't know that they've sinned, they won't need, they don't know that they need God's forgiveness. This is judgment. I can't tell you how many people I've been raised in this church, I was born in this church, I'm gonna die in this church, I'm gonna da 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 and on and on and on and on and on. And one of my questions always is, but what if your church is wrong? And one of the most awful realizations that a person makes now wait a minute. Remember a young Jewish man got saved. Can't tell you how many hours I spent on the phone with him witnessing. He lives way down in Brooklyn so he doesn't attend here very often. He said, I know what needs to happen. He says, I've just got to under he said, I've got to reconcile all two things. If I get saved, I'm admitting that my parents are lost. I'm admitting that my grandfathers and my uncles and all my aunts and all my cousins and everybody I know is in hell today. He says, I know the Bible's right. He said, I just need a little time to straighten this whole thing out in my heart. That's tough. But see, without that judgment, he would miss heaven as well. And if that kind of thing doesn't grab a hold of your heart and twist it really hard, you you better pay attention to what this is talking about here because you've left your first love. They shall know ye are my disciples by what? Your love one for another. God is what? Love. May I remind you that love without boundaries, love without rules, love without responsibility is nothing short of slavery. Love has boundaries. They are so strong that they sent Jesus Christ to the cross to die. You must... Understand, real love means real judgment. And as we go through this passage, let's go back to, um, well, let's read the verses in James. We, we talked about them, but verse 12 says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty for me shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Listen, you take what God's given you and take that forgiveness to the world in which you live. Amen? This is what Jesus is talking about. Don't waste your life trying to find out what's wrong with everybody else. Take your life and invest it in being obedient to Jesus Christ. This is what we are to do. Because if you don't, this is where you're going to end up. How many times have you heard, they got their just desserts? Hmm? Everywhere you go. All over the... That is irony. Boy, I mean they got what they got what they gave out. 
I don't think we need to spend a lot of time going through political history, especially in New York State of former uh, high-ranking officials who at one time judged others and had the exact same crime put at their doorstep. And I mean, this is this is the Bible is true. If you're going to stand there and look down your nose judgmentally at other people, guess what they're doing to you? Exactly the same thing. That's why the Bible says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? But considereth not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote of thine eye, out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Now, we have here the mote versus the beam. A mote is a speck. It is a fine particle. How many of you have ever worked with wood where you're cutting wood and a, a table saw or a router and you have this really super fine dust blowing all over the place and in your eyes and uh, it's, it's very painful. You get just, it doesn't take much. Just the tiniest little speck. How many have ever worn contact lenses? That little speck that you can't hardly see. It just feels like somebody has driven a nail the whole way through your eyeball. Uh, those that wear contacts, they're going up and down. They know exactly what I'm talking about. It is painful. You say, I don't think I could ever handle that to wear contacts. Trust me. Molds are painful. They are troublesome. You get just the littlest tiny of our clean, beautiful New York City air stuck in your eye, and, and you are going to be hurting. A beam. A beam is a large, heavy timber that is used to support walls, floors, or roofs. I mean, that's what a beam is. People said, oh yeah, it's the difference between a speck of sawdust and a two-by-four. Well, a two-by-four in anybody's building today, unless you're just making some little tiny thing somewhere, is not a beam. Uh, you've got to get into a two-by-six, two-by-eight, uh, three-by-twelves. Those are beams. Uh, and what Jesus is doing here is using hyperbole. You see, when you go around trying to find the most minute little problem with everybody else, what have you just done? You've stuck the beam right through your head. I mean, you can't... God never called you to go around straightening everyone out. I'll tell you what God did call you to do. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. And I think you'll see how that this message with the mind of Christ that we've looked at, I just want to bring things together here. 
Brethren, verse 1, Galatians 6, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Did you get the verse there? When someone's overtaken in a fault, if you're spiritual, you're going to come alongside that person and help restore them or bring them back to where they ought to be, but you're going to come at that with an attitude saying, listen, except for the grace of God, there go I. I could be tempted with the exact same thing and this is really difficult. Some people had a habit of smoking cigarettes. They get saved. They throw them out. They never want to touch them. They never want to smell them. They never want to be around them again as long as they live. Other people struggle with those things every moment of their life until they get to heaven. Is the one any less saved than the other? No. But it's real easy for that person that has the victory to say, why don't you just give them up? Get rid of them. Come on. It's just, you just got to get, what's wrong with you? And they're going, wait a minute. What's, don't, don't you know what you're doing to me? You're, you're telling me I'm not really saved. You're telling me I'm, I've got problems with, and you do have problems with your faith when you have problems with sin in your life. But, do you see the spirit of self-denial and not worrying about self here, it says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know what? You may never have had a problem with such and such a sin. And by the way, I don't believe you have to be a drug addict to help people get off drugs. But if you can love them, you'll help them off drugs. You don't have to be an ex-alcoholic to help someone stop drinking. You don't have to be whatever they are so that you can help them stop. Here's what it says. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. How many of you have ever watched a little baby learn how to walk? Isn't that a lot of fun? At first they'll let you take them by the hands and walk them around, but pretty soon they're going, yeah, yeah. And what do they do? They fall down. But if you don't let them fall down, they'll never learn how to walk. Now don't take them out on the sidewalk. Concrete is hard. Give them a nice soft place to fall down. Amen? That's bearing one another's burdens. But if they don't learn to stand on their own two feet, they're never going to bear their own burden. They're never going to be restored. Amen? Every man must bear his own burden. We've often talked to people about rehab. And they'll say, what kind of program do you have here for your for rehab at your church? And I'll say, well, we, we have a program that we have invested an awful lot in. We call
call it Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night prayer meeting, Thursday night Bible study, discipleship, visitation. In fact, if you're willing to be involved in everything that's going on in the church here, uh, we could probably keep you busy in just about every off hour that you would have. And if you're not working, we could keep you busy doing some other things around here. It's not... If, if busy is your problem, if not being busy is your problem, well, we can take care of that. But here's what happens: they put you in a nice place where a bunch of nice people do everything for you, and when you get let out, you have you're used to everybody doing everything for you, and now all of a sudden you're shocked at having to do it all for yourself, and you're going to fall. It's inevitable. God's way is, as you are as you are dealing with this thing, as you are overtaken, as you are faltering, someone comes along and puts their arm around you. Now, maybe they can't live with you 24 hours, but they're going to put their arm around you and help you up for a couple hours. Amen? Bring you to a church service. You're going to get some of the Word of God. That's going to help you for a couple more. Well, maybe you'll fall down again. But then you get up and you come back. What you're learning to do is you're learning to be restored and you're learning to bear your own burden. Because the laws of reaping and sowing are still in effect. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to have the flesh reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen. Don't allow yourself to get put into the position of judge. Don't allow yourself to be sitting up evaluating someone else's life, their faith, their motives. You can't see in their heart. I've often told people, listen, if you tell me you want to get the victory over this sin in your life, I'm going to believe you. Because that's what I want for you as well. And we'll struggle together as long as you're willing to struggle. Amen? Judge not, lest you be judged. Let's not take our life and make it about trying to discover everyone else's faults. Let's make it about helping someone else on to righteousness. Amen? Now, if you're gracious and kind and loving to them, guess what? When you fall down, what's going to be their first response? Oh man, I remember so-and-so was there for me. I want to be there for them. See, in a marriage, we call this justification. When you do something right, you encourage your spouse and they want to do something right back to you. And when they do something right back to you, that encourages you and you want to be an encouragement back and you have an ever-ascending spiral of love and a reason to do what's right. And most often times, it's a spiral, but it's headed downward. 
he did this to me, I'm going to. She did that, I can't believe. I'm going to. And you know what? That goes on in church too. When we get judging one another, we justify each other's wrong behavior. When we love each other, the mind of Christ that's in us, we justify each other's right behavior. You're either going to be building or you're going to be tearing down. You can't do you can't do nothing. I know that's a double negative and all these things, but you you get the point better when I say it wrong than when I say it right. Here's what God wants in our lives. This is what He means when He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't go around trying to pick moats. You don't need a magnifying glass to find a beam. You usually have to have somebody help you carry the thing. Let's be careful what we do with our lives. These last points of this message, these are the issues of life. This is how we are to deal with others. We are to be in our hearts seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We're not to worry about tomorrow. We're not to worry about other people. Because we've got to be busy seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. And if you can get that done, you've accomplished everything you need to do for a day. All God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it says. We ask that you would help us get from the point where we're being taught to the point where we live. Lord, we pray that you would make each one of us one of those encouragers. That we would be one of those that would bear one another's burdens. But Lord, we have to and we must realize that each man must bear his own burden. That you want our rejoicing to be in what you've done in our life as well as what you are doing in others. We ask you to put in our mind and in our heart the laws of reaping and sowing. Lord, we pray that you would convict us of sin in our own lives before we would go out and try to help someone else deal with sin in their lives. We pray that we would get wrapped up in obedience to Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.